Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates, where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process and their music. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash pabloheld. And to keep informed about the interviews, my music and everything else that I'm up to, subscribe to my newsletter at pabloheld.com. Okay, let's start investigating. I think there there are musicians who I uh, don't feel comfortable sharing their process and everything. Um, and then there are people that do. You know, it's just a personality thing, I guess. And what and for me, it's easy. I enjoy it, and it's lucky right. for me because it it helps these days. You um, well, we can talk about that. But these are crazy times to make a living. Being sure. an artist. I really like that and I think I gravitate towards people like that um, because I'm well, very very interested and I, I I would like to know as much about the process as possible you know. I think that some people have a hard time even talking about their process because some people may be uncomfortable because their process somehow feels more intuitive and they don't know how to break it apart. There can be that mm. and then and then there are people that are scared. I've known musicians who say that if they talk about it, they're scared that they'll lose the mystery of it for themselves. But for me, I think the opposite, because I think that when you analyze what you do kind of intuitively and you understand it more and talking about it, sometimes like people who teach will say that, that yeah. in talking about it, they illuminate it for themselves. You, um, you start understanding things that might be intuitive. And I think that can help you move to the next level of intuition. Right. You know, so, so that your intuition, then you know more about yourself. Okay, I know that. And, and you understand more and more and it lifts you. And as far as people stealing what you do, there's people that are scared of that too. If I tell people how I do it, they can do it. And mm -hmm. I simply don't really believe that's possible to do effectively. Um, That's that very true. It, it, it's, you know, people, you know, you think about the first bebop players, whoever played bebop better than the first bebop players, you know, or whoever did, you know, you, you really can't. Um, and it's imitation does is never really that effective. So I and, and that isn't even um, something I'm thinking really about. But but it is it is just a fact, you know, everybody has to find kind of their own way you learn things from people but you have to approach it in your own way otherwise your music doesn't feel like yours somehow ultimately we all have to sit and face the struggle and it right. is a struggle and the unknown questions and the groping around in the dark for you know what comes next and you know for me tears and you know, <laughs> all the, the things that, it's just really hard to write music and there's mm -hmm. no getting around that um, to do something that's really effective and um, that, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. But how do you approach it? How do you get into the, to the zone? I, mean, I think that's a very common question, but I'm very interested in what, what's happening before you put down a, a, an idea, you know? And you started to say, how do you get in the zone? Yeah. And then you... you and, the, and, the, and that really is the, the zone 
is the real thing because the, the, the zone is almost like that moment where you turn inside out. Like there, there's the, like, Oh God, I got to face writing. What am I going to write? I mean, mm. if you feel that a lot of people feel, Oh, I'm so excited. You know, like Kenny Werner once, you know, said to me, I, you know, I just have so many ideas. And I was like, you do? Yeah. Oh, giving me some, you yeah. know? It's like, you know, I just, I, I, there's so many choices. I don't know what to put down. And, and for me, it's, I have the opposite. It's like coming up with something that I feel compelled, that I feel is truly compelling for me is really hard. And right. so, um, I, and so when you're not in the zone, when you're, when you're outside and you want to immerse into that bubble, that's, it's really, it's like, oh, how do I get there? It's, it's, I always think it's like looking at a, at a pool, you know, and you're dry and you're warm and, and you are a, a lake and you, you're, everybody's having fun swimming, but you're like, oh, well, the water's really cold. I don't really want to go yeah. in and I don't want to get wet. And I, you know, and then you get in and it's like, oh, after you get used to it, you know, first you're like, oh my God, it's so cold. Yeah. And then you get into it and then you're like, oh, I don't want to leave. This is so amazing. Yeah. You know, getting in the zone is like that. You know, you don't somehow there, for me, there's like a resistance to submersion. I don't know why there's just a resistance. But if I sit there and I work long enough and try and if I find that idea and all of a sudden it's like, hmm. now, I, now I'm in the zone and I'm in there and it's like, oh man, now that hours melt away. And yeah. now, now I feel like, you know, Kenny Werner, maybe, you know, <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm in this space and there's all these available things that I want to explore, but getting there, you know, means, you know, you, you're going to procrastinate. You're going to make excuses. Mm -hmm. You're going to give yourself a lot of really negative talking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, this is me. I'm, I'm maybe I'm a little crazy. I'm with but you. That's, okay. I'm with you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. But, if, but when you're in <clears throat> and, and to make really, really great music, you know, I, I remember almost every piece that I wrote feeling in the zone. It's like, I can almost go back and be like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember when I was there, yeah. you know, writing that piece. And I remember, I remember most moments of, you know, things that I feel for me were kind of the musical great moments for me, you know, writing certain pieces, coming up with the ideas. I remember the struggles too, but I remember where I was. I remember how I felt. Yes. I remember my sketches. You know, I, I have all these sketches. I was showing some students in Hanover, you yeah. know, this is a really bad one, but I do a lot of sketching just on, you know, paper yeah. like that. And, and when I find my old sketches and I look at them, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah. I tried that idea and that yeah. idea. And, and then I, then sometimes I'll look at it and I'll be like, well, now why didn't I do that? That was a good idea. I <laughs> yeah. should have done that. That might've been better than what I wrote. You know, and there's a lot, a lot of, uh, so you we, keep, you, you keep the old sketches even if the piece is done i keep all the sketches except right now with this latest project i did um i promised all the high-end participants and there were a lot like gold silver bronze on artist share yeah i promised them all a little sketch and i was going to hand write out a sketch of a melody and i decided it would be much more meaningful to take these pages and find ones where meaningful things happen it's like oh yeah that's when i that's where I first came up with the, 
the first chords of Sansonin and mm -hmm. I'm literally cutting it out and then I'm going to write the birth of Sansonin and I'm oh, going to yeah. send it to people. So I'm, I'm literally giving those away for the first time, which is slightly painful. I hope people treat them um, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they appreciate them because it is a little bit like giving away my placenta or something <laughs> <laughs> that's gross for my pieces <laughs> oh god i mean yes. it's, i mean uh, having said you know you just said it uh, for some people it's like people talk about compositions as like that their, their children you know in a way also you know yeah so yeah. there's that there's that analogy yeah and it's that <laughs> personal Sorry. it's that personal now i i oh. i get it yeah <laughs> yeah and and those those moments and I can even see in my handwriting where I'm really struggling mm -hmm. where it's flowing where I'm I know what I want and I'm making a kind of a meticulous working out voicing and some lines be right before going to score you know I can see in my writing where I was in my process like how far along I was it's you see really the excitement too like uh, oh shit yeah. I have to I have to write this down what you know yeah I, yeah, yeah. Is still in the moment where you have it because sometimes if you repeat something, uh, you know, I always repeat something when I'm, and then I make mistakes and then I go like, oh, this is a nice mistake, but I want to remember it, you know, so, you know. Um, yeah, you got to get it down fast. Yeah. That, that's why, you know, for me, it's like no bar lines. I'll just make little notes and, you know, I'll just get down what's essential. If I, if I know I'm going to remember what the rhythm was, I don't put that down first. I put the notes down first, you know. Uh -huh. if, if rhythm is essential, then I quick scribble out the rhythm and then, you know, look for the notes or whatever because you don't want to miss that moment. Sometimes I record myself playing around at the piano searching because I do a lot of searching, you know, at the piano and, and I'll record myself, but I never have the rec recorder run, running when it's the best. Like when I know it's yeah. on, it's like all, you know, and <laughs> I know this so well. I, yeah. It's the same with my kids, you know, I have two kids and whenever they do something funny or, or crazy or whatever, I want to, I want to capture it. Once I get the camera out, they stop because they see the capture and uh, the, the camera, and they get become conscious of of yeah. the recording yeah. process, which is exactly what happens to me when I'm like, "Oh, this is I should have ah, let me get my phone or whatever, you know." Yeah, and then it's gone, and it's yeah. gone. But that's you know that's also that's life, right? It's great, and then it's gone. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it is, it is, and and improvisation is like that. It encapsulates life and. You can't hang on to it. They say you can't take it with you. And um, yeah, so you do your best to try to grab it. And every once in a while, you get it on a recording. Um, huh. Yeah. But yeah. How improvisational is your composition process? I mean, must must come out of the moment. But how much is it? It's just, you know, playing around or? Um... There, that's in there in the beginning. Um, just playing around with an idea, seeing where it can go and, and sometimes, but ultimately what I really do then is, you know, there's that kind of intuitive thing and, I, and where you just say, Ooh, I like that. I, I like that. Oh, you know, or that, that feels like something and I kind of get into it and I'm like, you know, I'm just looking for something that has this personality in it. Mm -hmm. Something where I say, Ooh, you know, And then, then when I do that and I run on it and improvise it for a little bit, then I kind of pull back and I say, okay, what is this thing essentially? What is it in terms of 
I, when I teach, I just talk to students. I said, what's the DNA of the idea? You know, going into that idea and saying, why do I like it? Yeah. Is it intervals? Is it contour? Is it a, a skip? Is it, um, is it a tension between a line and the bottom? Is it, uh, is a sonority? Is it more a rhythmic thing? Is it a modal thing mm. with a certain note on top? You know, is it a, a movement between two chords that has a shift in color, you know, and a shift in density or, you know, and I try to really dig into it and say, what is the key ingredient to this thing that mm. makes me love it? Because then I have, now I have, if I can find that, now I have the building block to start experimenting with development and to start to see the bigger picture. Mm. And in finding that DNA, you assure yourself of a story that has continuity, you know, right. and it makes it, it does make writing easier in a way because it makes because you find elegant solutions to things. You're not like, oh, what can come next? And now I got to come up with another idea. And you also that way you're less likely to skid off the road and all of a sudden go into something else and then you listen to it later and you, you go like, okay, what was the beginning idea? <laughs> Where were you going here? You know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So, so there's the improvisation, but then there's the analysis and then the theoretical development. And then sometimes that'll spark new ideas that then I go from there and I say, Ooh, that makes me want to improvise off of that and see what that is. Hmm. Then analyzing, pulling back, does it connect? And so it's really, a, for me, it's a very back back and forth. And I, I can't say which part is, is uh, more important. You know, they're both equal. Um, and I, I think there are people that are much more all intuitive and, much, and some that are much more all in the thinking mind. For me, it's very much both. Hmm. Do, do, do you have a lot of pieces where the initial idea didn't really end up in the, in the final piece. Mm, because now I, when you talk about it, sorry for interrupting, but now yeah. when you talk about it in, in discovering the DNA of something of maybe a first idea, that seems like the first idea is, is the starting point for something to develop from there. But I'm wondering if you sometimes discover things along the way that make you go like, okay, but actually the, I like this even more. I want to start here and see what this DNA might be. Well, um, yeah, maybe not so much going into another direction, but what can happen is that I discover that the first thing that I wrote doesn't reveal itself right away in the beginning of the piece, that in extracting it, I, inst I, I, I extract uh, little pieces of it and then what I wrote kind of reveals itself then mm. a little later it's not always the first inspiration isn't always the first idea but mm -hmm. I think it doesn't happen I'm trying to think if it happens much where that first idea then just kind of I abandon it I, I don't think so because if it generated something else that was connected to it it would be similar right. but I and I I can't really think of an instance of that exactly um you know i've put pieces away before and then come back to them with a new perspective and what i wrote completely transformed 
in that new light. That mm. has happened. For instance, uh, there's a piece on my second album called El Viento, mm. and it's it's in uh, three, and it's it's using. Um, let's see how how did this work? So the first the first idea I came up with was before I'd ever heard flamenco music, mm. and the piece was called Cellophane, and it was very much like Hindemith. It was a very I was listening a lot to the Kammer music, and it had the kind of you know that sort of Hindemith kind of chordal sound and yeah. um and and I brought it to the band and it was kind of interesting and and I I didn't finish it I just tried things and there was a solo section but then I I was like I don't know this I I thought this is maybe a little bit stiff and a little bit um I'm just not sure about this it felt a little pedantic or something and then I went back then a couple of years later I heard Paco de Lucia play and I heard, and I fell in love with flamenco rhythms, but I didn't yet know much about it, but I could feel it was in three. And the main thing I could feel is I never knew where, where the hell one was, you know, yeah. but I loved it. So <laughs> I took this piece that was all multimeter and I just put it over three. Oh. I did some shifting, but a lot of the bars, the people, when they play it, they're just, I can see the whole band one, two, three, because they never know, <laughs> know where it is. And then it, it kind of goes into much, the piece develops into kind of a flamenco thing that's developed out of this idea, but I could just sort of hear that that worked and I, in somehow it did, but yeah, the missing ingredient to that came down the road, you know, and mm -hmm. that was hearing flamenco music. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Process is a really amazing and struggling to find something and, um, one thing I, I, I didn't expect to love that I do love because I, so I, I told you, it's really hard for me to write music and I struggle and, you know, with everything and all the detail of it. I write very kind of detailed music. Um, and so when Dawn Upshaw, the soprano came to me about writing music for her, I was like, Oh my God, I, how do you write? I'm already having a hard time just on my own writing mel melody and harmony. And, and now, you know, I've got to find poetry and try to make it fit to poetry. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, my God. And I kind of panicked and I, I accepted the commission because I felt like it was insane to say no, but I was really scared. And but I really discovered that if you really love, if you find a text that you really, really love and feel compelled by it's super liberating because now it's not on you to come up with everything. Right. But the text gives you the rhythm. It gives you the emotion. Yes. It gives you the story. It gives you the contour. It gives you the rhythm even, you it's know? Oh, it's really, really wonderful. I, I loved it very, very much. Hmm. Yeah. It, it, it honed it instead of having it be another kind of thing to figure out. It was the thing that, gave a lot of answers and just, you know, took away a lot of possibilities and, and presented these possibilities could work, you know, kind mm -hmm. of as opposed to you can do anything, you know, it's like right. that you can do anything is that is like, ah, it's jail. It's a way in a way that's a jail, you know? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. It is. Did you, so, so, you know, one thing is, you know, when I was young, And going in, just going into graduate school, and um, I was thinking about doing this for a living, and whether I wanted my life to depend on coming up with ideas. And I remember saying, 
no, <laughs> I don't. But I just kept doing it anyway, you know. Yeah. Isn't that weird? And it's not like I'm doing something I I didn't want to do, but it was kind of like, no, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like your life pushes you in a direction and it's really hard and you know, it's hard, but you feel compelled to go there anyway. And it's, yeah. you just can't, you know, it's sort of like a fly mm -hmm. flying to the light and then it fries on the light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> The life of a musician. <laughs> Are you already fried? I don't think so. Oh, I do feel very <laughs> fried. I do. This year, I feel really fried. You know, Ben Monder, who I know you know, mm -hmm. was very sweet. Sometimes when I really get in trouble, I talk to Ben. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said to him, I haven't written anything this year. I, I have nothing, nothing left. I'm, I think I'm done. And he said, Marie, you always go through this after a record. You know, right. and, and, and it's true. And, and I always go back to the analogy, you know, because I'm from farming country in Minnesota. And I always think about, you know, that you can't farm a field constantly every single year and push it. And I want another crop and another crop and another crop. You have to let that field sit, you know, mm -hmm. out of season. And it has to you know, have decaying matter re revitalize the soil. And, right. And, um, it's a circle. Mm. It's a circle, and it's it's very um, scary as a, a creative person to face those periods. And I have gotten better at saying, okay, this has happened before every single time. Yep. But it was, it was nice that Ben reminded me. But, yeah, sometimes I feel fried, you know. I've, I've mind, you know, it's the... Yeah, but that's the difference, you know. You feel fried, but you actually aren't, <laughs> in a way. Well, except, except I, it's, it's, it's like mental illness. You know, other people can say, you know, oh, you're just depressed. But if you feel depressed, you are, you, you're in your universe you're of in depression. Sure. You're in it, and you yeah. can't see out of it. And, and for, you know, and so for, you know, when you feel fried, you know, other people can say, oh, you got more in you. I know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you always say that but inside. You're like, no. Yeah. Can't you <laughs> see? Really feel, don't yeah. you understand? I'm done. You that's, know? Yeah. That's also so funny. You want the others to realize that you're done. Actually, you want yeah. the others to see it with yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe when they see it, wow, she's really done. You're like, I am not done. Yeah. That's Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the secret intention behind it, you know? Yeah, my might be for them to say, you can't be done, you know, or, or you are done. Really, you're done? Yeah. Well, that's probably a good idea, you know? I was really yeah. sick of you, too. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have the same thing, though. I, I, I have, you know, in certain periods, I feel like I, I lost it. You know, it it's gone. I can't write something more or, or even, even play sometimes. I feel like... Um, I've lost the things when I listen to maybe old recordings of mine. I can't play like that anymore. But then when I start thinking about it, I, I'm usually always realizing, but do you actually would like to be the guy again from three years back or whatever, or uh, yeah. have the skill set from then mm -hmm. or the experience set? I don't think so. I, I, I prefer this, you know, and um, it, yeah, it usually takes somebody like, like Ben or, you know, a friend to to help you realize that you know it's not always going up with sometimes just going like this and then there's a next bump or whatever um yeah yeah there was i so i went through one of these periods in the late 90s hmm. and 
I had just met, I'd been to Brazil and I'd met Egberto Gismonti. You know Egberto's music? Yeah. yeah. Extraordinary. I'm, I'm going to have some water too. Cheers. Cheers. Um, and so I, I wrote to him and, you know, we, we were writing back and forth. Um, and I, I said, oh, I just, I feel like, you know, I just have nothing. You know, I was really feeling like it's just kind of over. I was feeling very, very dry musically. Um, and he suggested a book and this book was amazing and I keep meaning to reread it. So the book is called Finding Serenity in the Age of Anxiety mm. um, by Gerzen, Robert Gerzen. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Um, see and let's see. He says, Robert Gerzen provides genuine insights into the powers we all possess to transform our lives and embrace the boundless opportunities for positive change. Well, mm. if for me, what it was, so he talks about in here, one of the things, there's a lot of different things he talks about in here that I, I loved. But one was the growth cycle. And he says, um, so he has three zones. And the middle zone that most people spend most of their time in is the comfort zone. But there's also mm -hmm. the rejuvenation zone. Um, and then there's the growth zone. Um, and what happens is a lot of people get stuck in the comfort zone. And they, they hang out there. But in what he says is that in order to reach, in order to get to the growth zone, you have to face fear because you can't grow and reach that level. What, what does he say of, of self conf, increased self-confidence? Um, but you have to face the anxiety of doing something you've never done before or trying to get to that thing. And then when you reach it, it's like, oh, I did that. And then you get that yep. feeling of, oh my gosh, I grew. Mm -hmm. And, but he said also what happens is a lot of people sit in that comfort zone and they get depressed because mm -hmm. they're also not really resting, like mm -hmm. truly resting, giving you the self, the, the permission to do what we're talking about, to really, you know, just to, to really, and let's see if there's any helpful words here that he has that I could use today. Ah, out of rejuvenation zone, the desire for growth arises. Mm -hmm. And um, he talks about self-integration. I'll have to reread that because I don't really know what that means. But, um, oh, yeah. And then he talks about different kinds of anxiety. Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, the kind of healthy anxiety, but then there comes the anxiety from just sitting there and not really growing and not really, you know, but there's, um, natural anxiety, which would happen from, yeah, you're going to feel some anxiety if you're doing something you've never done before. Right. That's, that's just a fact. And, um, but a lot of people also feel anxiety about truly relaxing mm -hmm. me, yeah. you know, because <laughs> I feel like if I'm not doing something and if I'm not being productive, then, you know, I'm wasting time, you know, or, mm -hmm. or whatever. So after I read this book, it really helped me. And I really, and also Brazil helped me because too, because in Brazil, I encountered all this music full of joy. My yeah. music was so 
dark and heavy and intense. And, you know, um, it's like that jazz world of proving that it's like, it's serious, you know, and it's, it's heavy, man. That's heavy. That's deep. You know, all these words that are like dense, you know, Mm -hmm. and I go to Brazil and it's like, oh my God, beauty, joy, lightness, but depth at the same time. And, and I gave myself permission. I was like, wow, there, there isn't anything wrong with pretty. I can write pretty and, and embrace it. You know, I can write yes. beautiful. I can write joyful. And so I, 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 after that, I wrote a piece called Hang Gliding. That next album, actually, it's, it's, the album's called Allegras. Allegras means joy in French. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, and I didn't even realize when I wrote it, because I wrote that piece, Allegras, right before going to Brazil. But most of that music on that album is either from the before depressing, dark, you know, feeling like I'm headed towards, you know, struggle. There's a piece on there called Nocturne. Oh my God, it's just so insufferably (laughs) hurting. And there's a piece called Dissolution that I wrote for a dance company. And that also is just so, you know, brooding and in kind of, I don't know, maybe not a great way. It has some nice ideas. I like some things about it. But then on there is Hang Gliding. And a piece called Journey Home and yep. Sea of Tranquility. Those were all written after I went to Brazil. So that album is like the before and after Brazil, the before and after Egberto gave, gave me this wonderful insight to this book. So anyway, yeah. Um, You're touching thought. on a lot of things that I wanted to talk to you about. Hmm. Uh, and thanks for recommending that book. I'm going to check it out for sure. Um and I've I've gone through a similar kind of um, realization in the past two years or something, you know, also through Brazilian music, actually discovering that everything that we, when we play, we want, <laughs> I wanted to every, everybody to understand how serious I am about this music mm-hmm. by being serious. Mm-hmm. And thereby I'm not allowing a part of myself that is coming through when I'm talking with my friends uh, or talking with you or playing with my kids or whatever, you know, it's just uh, the hanging out part, the, 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 the relaxed part, the just being a guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> regular guy, you know, having fun. Mm-hmm. Somehow I, I was kind of opposed to that idea in my own music and through Brazilian music, actually, I realized, and also I think through my kids, just having fun on stage and having also fun while writing and having that being a part of the the written thing. It's not that I'm mm-hmm. writing funny music now, but you know, I had yeah. to realize that that there's a place for that. Mm-hmm. And it actually helps to connect more with other people, maybe the, the, the guys in the band or the guys in the audience, without playing, you know, just random uh music that is accessible for everybody or whatever, you know, it's, I'm not talking about that, but certain lightness that you also mentioned that mm-hmm. was really um, something that I've missed before. And it feels so, um, so nice to welcome it into your music. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But when I listened to your music, I never felt how you felt about it or how you described, uh, you know, pieces like Nocturne. I think, especially in Allegress, the, the record um, has so many contrasts also going. That was re- really something That's that, why. you know, having gone through the hang gliding experience, I think the next song is Nocturne. I mean, what? I'm not sure if it, if it's actually that, that sequence, but... 
Yeah, I probably it probably but it but it was written in the opposite order. You know, Nocturne right. is from the, from the old brooding place, and yeah. hang gliding was from. But it's you know it, it's a it's such a great contrast, you know. And even within hang gliding, it's not all happiness, and and yeah, yeah. you know it has, you know it it has movement in there, and I really I love that piece. I mean, I love the whole record. And but that's such a special piece. I was actually listening with my with with my daughter before, oh. and and then she was like, "What is hang gliding? You know, she, yeah, what yeah. is hang gliding?" So yeah. so I showed her videos of of people hang gliding while we listen to. Oh, you know. oh, that's nice. <laughs> so she she liked it. Oh yeah, yeah. Hang gliding was really that talk about facing fear, jumping off a cliff right. with some young Brazilian boy. Hoping you make it to the bottom. That was crazy. Mm -hmm. Wow. How long <laughs> yeah. did you stay in Brazil? I mean, how long was this this period which which helped you to, to a week? Only a week. It's it's a week. When you talked about it, it sounded like you know a couple of months or whatever, no. like a retreat or whatever. No, but I I tell you that week I really lived. You know, in Brazil I was just like, okay, I'm moving here. You know, I was just. And people were so kind to me and people took me out to hear Shoro. And actually some guys in the band came out. We, one night we listened to Shoro music and the music of, of, uh, of Choiquinho Gonzaga and uh, Pichinguinha. And, and then, and then um, a, a woman took me to a record store and people recommended at, at the record store You know, because I played the festival, so the people there, okay, you got to buy this and this and this. Yeah. I came home with so much music. Great. And I made so many friends, you know, and mm. um, that's, I met Egberto on that trip. I had friends from Portugal that were very good friends of his, and they said, oh my God, you're going to Brazil. Oh my God, we're coming there, and you're going to meet Egberto. We got to introduce you guys. You wow. got to know each other. And so that that was really, really, really wonderful. And he's, you know, became a friend after that. So did you ever um, get to work with him? No, we've never worked together, but we, you know, share things with each other. Matter uh -huh. of fact, I, I have to send him the new CD. I haven't done that. I need to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow, his music is so special, right? Oh, What's yes. your favorite recording? Oh, gosh. That's hard, but, you know, I just, probably in Fancia. It just, you know, it's just mm -hmm. so I don't know delightful. Oh, it's beautiful. And then there's an old one that has... Um, um, I think it's just called Egberto Gisbanti. It's the one that has the in, in memory of Fado on it. Mm. Memoria of Fado. Da -di -da -da, na -di. Oh, that, that, that song is just killer. That mm. might be my favorite. That's an older one. Somehow thinking about you, you guys doing something together is, oh, is he, a very he has interesting no, idea. No, because I'll tell you what, he has, he has no empty space needed to be filled in. Egberto is like, you know, there's just, there's nothing to add there. You know, mm. it's like, <laughs> it's like, what could I bring to Egberto Gismonti? I don't think anything really, you know, um, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty much a one man show for greatness. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, when I uh, first uh, heard Nocturne on Allegres, I was thinking of, of Barbara's song from uh, the individualism oh, of well, of yeah, Gilevins. that was my that was my cheap attempt, probably at that, was you it? know. But it, oh, probably, but it, you know, bad. I Nocturne. Oh my God, I'm not so sure about that one. But you like Nocturne? I like it. Yeah. 
and also really? how, how Frank sounds is just heartbreaking. Frank, I mean, is, Frank is unbelievable. And let me tell you that. So that piece, we had barely rehearsed it. And Frank said, oh, man, no, no, it's going to be better if it's a little bit shaky and if everybody's just kind of discovering it as it goes yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then he just played you know just you know just he relished not knowing where it was going to go and everything being a little uncomfortable and just riding on that edge yeah and in and, and that is yeah a really really beautiful solo what yeah. he plays on there that's that's the great part of that piece but um yeah the barbara song oh my god now that's great music <laughs> it is yeah but i like i like that maria i like when when i can when i can uh decipher or or you know when influences show up i never uh -huh. i never go like ah i, I can hear the gill in i never i always yeah. because when it comes from a place of love and not from the copy mm -hmm. as we talked yeah. about before the copy standing point yeah. uh when it comes through through love I'm always with it. I, I, I yeah. like it. I like it. Yeah. No, no, it's true. But that, but that piece, I felt like it was a little bit, the classical aspect of it was a little bit predictable or something. Hmm. The part that there, there are parts of it I like, and then the, I, I don't know. <laughs> Not trying to convince you, but yeah, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, something that you've talked about before is, The DNA of of a song, and that you that discovering it and and analyzing it gives you continuity in in the compositional process. And I feel that's um, very true when I listen to your music, because I was thinking about this. You know, in the past days, I've I've listened to your music very intensively. It was really nice to, for one, revisit some some albums that have been so important to me, and during a certain time. Of course, I have been going back to them, but also mm -hmm. some of them belong to a certain time and yeah. I can tap into those feelings to senses or whatever, you know, from mm -hmm. that. It was nice. It was a time travel moment for me. And then... How, to, how old are you? I'm 12 years old. No, I'm uh, <laughs> 34 years old. Okay, you're young. Okay, so, yeah. Um, so when I made my first, my first album, Evanescence, we recorded that in 1992. So you were really yes. young. Yes, uh, I yeah, that was I think one year later I went to school the first mm -hmm. the first time. So, yeah, wow, uh, that's a great album too. I love that one. Um, mm -hmm. What I was going to say is uh, that discovering the DNA gives you continuity. And when I listen to to all this music now, and also the the records that I hadn't known before, checking them out, I often get the feeling that the composition takes on a life of its own and is working behind everything else that is going on. I don't know if I can make this point very clear, but there's, there's a sense of um, when there's a solo, it's not, not, not really that, that template uh, mode of, okay, here come the, the background and now we're going to mm -hmm. hear something and then the solo gets swallowed up by all the written stuff. I feel like once you, the, the, the tune starts, it keeps on, working it keeps on living mm -hmm. in a very unpredictable way that's good thank you <laughs> and i, I feel like good that. about myself <laughs> i do too <laughs> because well because i want the piece to feel like a composition not to feel like 
a tune for somebody to blow on and to show everything they've been practicing, you know, but that they're improvising and, and improvising together with the music. And, and I think what's what I love so much about the band and what we've built together over the course of so many years is this common and, and, and it's it's not an ego thing, but it's it's like a just this feeling that we're all coming to the same place. We're coming to this piece. It takes us a while that we all hear it and know it enough to know. Okay, each person knows they can bring this thing to it. Their phrasing, their kind of chordal thing, or the, or the or the um, the rhythmic thing with the drummer or ba- or Jay with what he can bring in with the bass and and the soloist is trying to figure out, okay, where is this going and how do, and, and I think the word I'm always thinking of, and I think they are, is how to make the next thing feel inevitable, how to make that piece feel like something that makes people go, oh, you know, mm-hmm. makes them feel like, oh my God, it's hang gliding. That's, it felt like, I felt like I took that trip, you know, so that, that for Donnie is, you know, on tenor, well, he's playing it live now, it's Rick Margitz on the album, yeah. but this thing of, playing the solo. And of course he wants to play a great solo. And, you know, there's all these tenor players sitting there that want to hear Donnie unleashes, you know, his, his amazingness at them, but, you know, also giving the piece, the feeling of, of, of flying. And, and when the, when he finishes his solo, you know, just handing it off, you know, so that it's just smooth and it just makes you, because I don't want the band Um, And I always say to a drummer, you know, I'll say, when the band comes in, make the band accommodate what you're doing. Don't change up when all the horns come in. Like if there's a solo and then it's building with the band, sometimes what happens is they'll all go to a really open, wonderful place. And then the band comes in. It's like, okay, now I'm reading again. It's like, no, if you guys find some sort of groove or some sort of place stick with it, let the music accommodate you and let the horn players kind of, and we've even had pieces that are even eighth and they go to a swing thing and Clarence Penn would look at me like, you know, you told me to, okay, let's see what happens. And the band will start swinging over it, you know? Cool. Um, And, you know, sometimes I'll be like, okay, let's not do that again. (laughs) (laughs) But but usually it's fun, you know, it's fun to try things. And for an audience that comes to hear us again and again, Mm-hmm. You know, they hear those differences and, and they're, they're enjoying the fun of it too. And, mm. um, you know, so, so that thing is, it is something I try to make the music have the room for that and to invite that, but that's not enough. You need players who each want that. They know what that is. They know the importance of the whole it's mm-hmm. not just about them and their solo, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's what makes the band really special and and what makes the music ultimately really special and work. And it's what makes me want to be a jazz composer. I'm not a jazz composer because um, it's easier to write the solo sections and you can get a lot of music out of just writing changes. And yeah. You know, like in school, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, wow, it's a solo. Whew write out the changes, you know, <laughs> and I rarely write music that's like that. You know, it's very through composed anyway. Sometimes I do write things that are theme and variations. It's got that, that to it. But for me, writing those solo sections is harder. Sometimes 
I will spend more time writing a page that has nothing on it that is just trying to, in my head, build some, some pin enough things in place for the solo conceptually to go somewhere that will give that overall feeling. That mm. is extremely difficult to do. But I love the feeling of my music being something that belongs to all of us. Mm-hmm. Of course, the downside of that is what I've experienced this last month when when uh, Frey Kimbrough died. Mm. You know, losing him as a friend. And then, you know, he's such a part of the music. Mm-hmm. We built all that together all these years, these decades. Like two, two Since, decades with him, right? Yeah, it said 27 years, almost three. Wow. Right, He came in right after we did Evanescence. So from there on, he made the music his own. He shaped, he was so generous with his time and talking about things. Sometimes he'd come over here, we'd play through things, talk about where this could go, what could happen, what you could play, what might be possible. And, you know, and then feeling him go to places that made me in later years bring a lot of freedom into my music because I knew that he would, I could entrust him to go places. It's going and to they take would care of it. And yeah, and, and he, it would be fun if it was that open because it leaves the room for them all to go someplace that's really their own and really have fun. Mm. But, but there's a trust factor that they know the context and they know the limits and, and they don't want to lose that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God. So it's like, it's talk about composing. We were saying at the beginning you know, things go away. What was it we were talking about? And I said, well, everything goes away. What was it we were talking about? The very, very beginning, remember? Oh, Maria, you're putting me on the spot. But I can't remember. At the very beginning, we said something, and I said, well, everything ends, or anything, everything finishes, I think. Or, yeah, or, you know, I remember you saying that, but I don't I remember the context. Well, so most composers, their music is there, and it sits there, you know, and mm. And, and you die and other people can play it. And I, yes, I, I will die and other people can play my music. But such a big part of my music is these people playing my music, right. you know? Right. These people playing my music with me there, with, with us, you know? And oh my God, it's like, it feels like it's, it's, it's the realization of, of death, you know, mm. of each of us and, and what we do and what we had. And mm-hmm. oh, Yeah, you know? but that's something that connects you with Duke Ellington and Gil Evans and those guys. Yeah, I guess you know? so. Uh, and that's not that's not is not a shortcoming. That's a lot of people don't have that. It's painful though. It's painful sure. to. It's 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 like um, I guess you're right. You know, I didn't really think of it that way, but you are right. Yeah, not that many people play Gil Evans music. Ryan Truesdell does it a lot now, you know, and yes. he's found a way to do it, but, and it, it's really beautiful, but he needed you know. Frank though too, you know, he needed yeah. Frank too for it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've heard him. I, I was there live when they, when they played it once at the jazz standard and Frank was so great. And, and also honoring certain ways of approaching that music, you know, he, he could bring out a certain Gil, Uh, yeah. without without doing a shtick or whatever you know yeah 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 he he had that way of finding those 
Well, so years ago when we were at Visioni's, I was the one who introduced. It's really fun when you introduce a musician, a great musician, to music that they didn't know, and it really changes their life. Oh yeah. And and I introduced um, Frank to the individualism of Gil Evans, that album, and you know, and so he started hearing that, and the you know the minor chords with the flat five yeah. next to the fifth below, and the minor ninth interval, and you yeah. know, and and those things I could start to hear those things come out of Frank's playing yeah. that weren't there before, mm-hmm. um, and wow. yeah, yeah, and then and then we found around the same time because I had worked with. Pooh, Matsubumi Kikuchi through through Gil and um he had done an album called Tethered Moon. It's all um yeah. with Gary Peacock and Paul Motion. You know yeah. that album? Mm-hmm. That's a beauty. Yes. All the Kurt Vile songs. That thing is amazing. But also Tosca. It's nice when oh, they yeah. did Tosca and I think also Edith Piaf is one where yeah. you know I mean, yeah, Mazabumi is uh, another one of the greats. Yeah. Yeah, so He used to, when I worked with Gil, um, he would improvise for, you know, hours just playing around, testing things. You know, like I said, sometimes I run the tape recorder, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, he ran the tape recorder and then he'd give it to me to transcribe and just, and I'd just spatially notate out, you know, what he wrote, what he played on the piano. And then he'd look at that and start extracting things from it. Gil would uh, extract or Masabumi would extract? Masabu- I, Masabumi would. Yeah. I would improvise it and then, or he would improvise it. I would transcribe it for him, give it back to wow. him. And, but, but I met him through Gil. That's why yeah. Gil introduced me to him. Do you still have um, those uh, transcriptions? No. No, no I, I did them, you know, in pencil and I just gave them to him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I want to know everything, how it how it was to... But also, I don't want to. I don't want to rush over Frank. I don't know if you feel like talking about him some more, or if it's oh, if just it's... you know, Frank was just. I mean, I have cried so much the last month. Just the, I I spoke. They we had a memorial for him. Juilliard did, and I talked about how Frank, you know, as a person. I don't know if you ever met him. Did you ever yes. meet him? It was the. He, it was so special. Did he give you a lot of attention and talk to you and was curious about you? And I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, we were in touch via email before because I kind of told the the guy who was running the label where I was on about Frank and Frank ended up on the same label. And um, which label was that? That's Period Records. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And um, we were in touch via email and. Uh, Frank was like, yeah, whenever you come to New York, let me know. And I did play there with my trio at the German consulate. And he was, he said, okay, I'm going to come. I'm, I'm going to be there. And I was well, like, yeah, well, I don't know if he's going to, you know, I don't know him. So he came and he came to say hi before the show, which can be very, you know, it can be stress you out if yeah. some of uh, like a hero, he, he's a hero of mine. And he's mm-hmm. coming to check us out. That's one thing. But coming to say hi before the show. But he was so generous and so encouraging. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna. Re- I'm really looking forward to hear you guys. And you know. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, mm-hmm. we hung out, and he was telling me all these stories. And then we, you know, he was like, man, let's hang out some more next time you're here. And 
last year I did a solo recording and I felt kind of um, very self-conscious and very uh, insecure about it. So I thought maybe I should call him and I called him up and we talked for more than half an hour and he gave me all this great advice of how to relax and to use the space that this crazy time now has for us, you know. Mm. There's not many people like him. No, no. And you, you know, probably he didn't have a cell phone. Yes. Yeah, I called yeah, him at, and, at his home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so he, he, um, and, and so he, he just embodied the word presence, meaning, you know, when he met you, he was with you. He wasn't looking over his shoulder. Who's kind of, oh, Jesus. I, this, this phone, I don't know how to turn off. <laughs> There's fine. literally no phone there and it's ringing. And it's attached to my. I just have to let it go. Just a second. You can also Sorry. you can also answer if you want. No, it's okay. I'll just. I can't even see it. It's sitting over there, but it it'll stop in a minute. Yeah, yeah. So so Frank, you know, he didn't have the cell phone. He when he was with you, he was a hundred percent with you, and he'd give people his undivided attention and time. And his music was the same way. You know, he was the personification of the listener, mm -hmm. listening, you know, and, and, and embracing the space and, and savoring. I mean, one of the things I'll just miss is him just sitting there and just smiling and looking at me and shaking his head when somebody would play some, something, just loving it, Yeah, you know, like loving it and, and just, and then putting everything he could into the music, you know, and supporting each other and just, and, and my favorite moments with him were, well, sometimes him just playing by himself. He'd do these introductions and stuff where they would just go anywhere. And I mean, I, they were just extraordinary, but then sometimes these open sections where the rhythm section had just come out and somebody like Scott Robinson or Mike Rodriguez or, you know, or Ingrid Jensen back mm -hmm. when, you know, somebody would just start playing something and he would just, and his ears were just insane, you know, mm. and then they would just go anywhere. And then somehow it would start to be a part also of the composition and it mm -hmm. would make sense. It would go somewhere, but then it would gently remind us where we were. And, oh my God, you know, there's just, yeah. uh, you know, it's just the, it's just the letting go and accepting that none of this lasts is i don't know well it lasts what you know i was i was just listening to walking with a flashlight your song on on his album mm -hmm. he's there i can hear him very yeah. present you know yeah. and that's something that is so special about our music or music in general of course if you look at it like sally bidacher the the conductor like uh where he says you know it's if it's in a can, it's dead. You know, it's 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 gone after you've played it. Yes, yeah. sure, but yeah. still, having those records helps me to appreciate certain moments that may be yeah. gone, but they can take on new meaning with me listening in, to them, and new meaning for me and yeah. very personal. You know, uh, yeah. listening to them in various moments of my life. You know, mm -hmm. as I said to you, you know, concert in the garden that's a special time for me in my life, you know, mm. uh, and it's, it's connected to that and nobody can take that away, you know, and, um, 
of course, it was a moment when you recorded it in the studio. But after then, it's already, in a way, it's, all, it's, it's not yours anymore. Now it's mine. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Do you think that people, like that idea of a record that is a time for us, you know, because I have that throughout my life, certain recordings that define a period of my life that were so important to me that I listened to again and again and again and again. Yeah. Is that happening less for you now? I think it's happening less for most people now. Because of the the streaming thing? Yeah, just the inundation of so much music. Yeah, through stream the availability of so of everything all the time. Hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe it is that the the that the because you can listen to everything and anything. You know, the exclusivity of, I got this record, I love it, I'm going to savor it, you know, yeah. having a finite amount of things that you listen to, and then somebody maybe turns you on to something and you get it, as opposed to, oh yeah, you hear this, yeah, I'll, I'll find it on Spotify, oh yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, there, yeah. oh yeah, listen to a little, you know, I yes. think, I think, I don't know if people have a music for their time, like what you just described, I don't know if that's happening to people much anymore. What well, do you think? I can I can only speak for myself in that way, uh, and I think it has gotten a little bit less like that. But also, I feel, and with you know, with the stuff that I really like, I'm going to play it for a lot of times. You know, I'm going to rerun the city, rerun the city, or the file if it's a file or whatever. I'm mm -hmm. gonna I'm gonna go back because that's just how I I want to soak it all in. I I need to do that. So mm -hmm. with the records that really, really get to me, I'm going to do that still. But also, uh, when I listened to Concert in the Garden, that was right before or during the time when I was starting to study the music, mm. you know, when I was going to, to school, you know, to, to, to study with my teacher, you know, going to conservatory, I mean. So, and right the time before that also is a time where you take in everything so so intensely mm -hmm. that is gone too i think but that's mm -hmm. natural in life i feel like this that's how i listen to stuff and listen to stuff when i was a teenager you know um that's never going to come back because it's you take everything in so intensely i feel you know mm -hmm. i'm not trying to sound super wise or old or whatever now yeah, it, it it's, could be, but I think there's also, there's more distractions now. It kind of started around the time of concert in the garden, but now there's so many things to distract. Sometimes when I go to schools, I'll ask students about it, and they tell me that if they listen to LPs, they stop and just take it in. You yes. know, they lay down and, and just listen to it as an experience. But if they're streaming music and everything like that, not so much. You know, it's That's more true. like what, they're walking somewhere or whatever. Mm. That there's something about that physical medium of the LP that just makes them say, okay, this is an event. You know, I'm taking it out. I'm putting it on. I'm giving it my space, my time. Right. That's that's true. But also, I, you know, I remember when I had my first MP3 player and it, and it could uh, contain, I think, 30 songs. Mm-hmm. And so I was, and I was coming when I was a little boy, I would take the LPs out of the, the record collection of my parents, you know, look at the cover and do exactly what you were talking about. And I would still do that as a teenager, but then also the, the technical side. So I, I think I have 
all of the experience still. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I, I have to say those things that were on my first MP3 player, I know them inside and out and I can turn yeah, them yeah. out without the P MP3 player now, you know, because I feel, I really feel strongly about that time when yeah. you're, you're so, you want to know everything. And I, um, yes. that's something that I really want to, that's why I do the interview series to, to also to, um, to have a space for uh, my curiosity to, you know, yeah. to exist in that mm -hmm. way and to really take the time to get to ask all these questions, you know, that yeah. I had when I was listening to that record, you know, um, mm. or the, those well, records. Well, I'm so happy you felt that way. Yeah, there was a magic somehow caught in that record, and Frank was such a big part of that record. Mm -hmm. That's also when I first brought accordion into the mix. Yes, and I, I use Luciana singing, and mm -hmm. then Donnie McCaslin plays that unbelievable solo on on uh, Bulerias, you know, that tenor solo. Oh That's the last the last song, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very mm -hmm. intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somehow, when, when I think about the record, I always have to think about the first song, and then sometimes I have trouble with the title sometimes, but also the choro. Choro uh, Dansado. I don't know how many times, also in the past days, I've been listening to it. And also then when I turned off the records, I was lying in bed and still listening to the song. <laughs> Couldn't get it out of my my head. Mm. I was curious, Maria, um, when I see you conduct the band, I still very I have very vivid memories of you conducting the WDR big band at Cologne Philharmonic Hall. I think that was maybe 2006 or 2005. And I had very bad tickets. It was like sitting. I was a student, so I didn't have any money. So yeah. I think I got the cheapest tickets for 10 euros or something. Mm -hmm. So it was in the last row. But I can I could see you, you know, um, <laughs> conduct with your whole body through dance in a way. Yeah. And um, I was talking to my friend uh, who is a saxophone player. And he uh, he worked with you in some kind of youth big band, and also with the NDR big band playing in the. He was subbing, oh. and he said uh, with a lot of big band music, there's nothing so exchangeable or uh, even not necess unnecessary like a conductor, but not with Maria's music. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and the well, way you conduct is very very personal and very. Um, he said he he he'd know exactly how you mean things and through the way mm. you move, mm. which I mean, I guess is the basis of conducting, but still the way you do it, you know, the way you move, you, you embody the music. You know, I never intended to conduct when I first uh, started the band. It was kind of, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, if I just kind of sit down and just hear the music and just organize the band and have them play my music or something. But in rehearsal, um, I just started, you know, to get people to play things a certain way without stopping and talking about it. You know, I'd start to show them, you know, it's, oh, it's legato or I want an attack and I start doing these things. And it, the language of my body just kind of developed as a, as a result of, you know, um, and now with my band, I find myself doing those things, even though I know they know there's an attack there. Maybe it's a reminder, but it's almost like, you know, sometimes I'm like, wait, am I conducting or am I just following, <laughs> you know, with my own band? I'm, sometimes I'm not sure. 
But then I'll hear my band play on a sound check. I'll go back with the sound guy to, to hear how things are. And I hear them play it when I'm not there. And I'm like, oh, God, they're missing that. They're not doing that articulate. They're not doing that, you know. And then I want to go up there. And, and then I'm like, okay, maybe they do watch me because it doesn't seem to sound right when I'm not there. Mm. So um, I think it helps when they have a visual of one person. The intent is clear what you're looking for and it keeps them especially in the band you know in the back row of the trumpets they can't hear anything back there they don't know what the reeds are doing for the most part you know mm. poor poor guys back there they just you know they don't they don't get the full experience mm. that's why i think so many trombone players are writers you know they're right in the middle of the band oh yeah right they get much more of the full picture hmm. wow right th right then when you said you don't know if you're following the band. I was thinking of Jerry Lewis. Oh yeah, what, what, what do you do? I miss that. Do you, do you know the the video where he's mimicking uh, Count Basie's cute? Oh no, you'll have to you'll have to send I it. I send to it me. to you. Yeah, I don't think you. so. You don't look anything like that when you're. When oh, you're that's doing good. That's good to know. I'll watch it. I'll be like, oh my god, I'm going into crisis. No, 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 Jerry no. Lewis. It's just I'll be a, up there working, pl playing with my band, and I'll be thinking, "Oh God, do I look like Jerry Lewis?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I apologize in advance, but that—that's a childhood memory of mine. You, I was—I was looking a lot at uh, Jerry Lewis movies, and that's one of my favorite scenes from this corny '60s movie. Was is basically Cinderella, but it's he's, he he calls it Cinderfella. Oh, and. Uh, everybody treats him wrong, and then he's in the, the, you know, and he's the servant of the of the wealthy family, and then he's in the kitchen, and in the kitchen he he's smoking a cigarette, and then turning on the the, the radio, and then the the radio host, uh, and now Count Basie's big band, Count Basie Orchestra playing cute, and then, <laughs> and then he goes into this thing like dancing to the music, but it's he's basically mimicking the flute solo, and then the the, the brushes. Uh, you know, I'm going to send it to you. I think I'm sure it exists on the internet because everything yes. does, right? <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Oh God, yeah. Um, can you tell me more about the experience of working with uh, Gil Evans? Well, and a thing, and also, if you want to share important lessons that you got through working from him, realizations or important moments. Yeah, just, just you know, and unfortunately, because I was so young when I worked with Gil and I was so green, I mean, on one hand, it's probably good that I was because I didn't bombard him with questions because I didn't, I was too, I didn't want to be a pest, you know. But on the other hand, he used to say to me, why are you in such a hurry to leave, you know? Let's, let's just sit and listen to music. I, oh. I'll never forget when I... We listened together. Um, Miles had just recorded Aura, that oh, album yeah. Aura. Wow. And Polly Mickelborg. Mm -hmm. And and um, and Gil had just gotten it on a cassette. And uh, he said, you got to hear this with me. And so we just sat, you know, on the floor in the dark and he smoked a joint. And we, we listened to that. And he used to say to me, you need to get high. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, Gil, you know, I don't really do that. And, yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. But, you know, and he was just so sweet. You know, I was forever coming over. He was in his underwear, you know, working on some music or something. And 
um, he, he'd always offer me a glass of apple juice. That was, you know, first thing, would you like some apple juice? Yeah. It's like, sure. You know? <laughs> and, and, um, one time I came in, he was trying to transcribe my ship because, and he, he said how he'd thrown all the, and I said, well, why don't you just, don't you have the music? No, I got so sick of it one day. I just threw it away. Oh, you know? wow. Yeah, and I read about him doing that type of stuff, and it, you know, that's of course very sad because everybody wants to see the original chart of you know the. Well, those they beautiful... ended up finding a lot of stuff, you know. So Ryan, yeah. uh, you know, I, I connected Ryan with the family, you know, um, and so you know there were just tons of tons of very disorganized archives and stuff, yeah. and I don't even know how all he located things, but he did, and he did a lot of incredible work. He's Yes. to be commended for that. And I think Gil would be very grateful for that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, he was very kind of mysterious and, um, you know, he wasn't one to talk about, you know, how he did things exactly, but, you know, and he would just entrust me to do things that I didn't deserve to be entrusted with, like reorchestrating his music for big band Wow. And, you know, and, and taking things he'd written for, you know, outer instrumentations and and orchestrating them. And, and the one most memorable moment I have is one where I did it and all the horns, um, I made all the horns go to their powerful, comfortable range, you know, in, in this passage that built and then the trumpets, you know, went just textbook, you know, I, I wrote it like. I learned in college, you know, with the trombones, you have the lead bone going up to maybe like an F or a G or something and the low one down and the third, wherever in, and I voiced it like he had it voiced in the trumpets and saxes. He was so repulsed by it. When he saw it, he, he literally screamed, he literally screamed and, wow. and he just, and he just like, he was so frustrated that I wouldn't know that he would want at the end of this passage, everybody to play in an extreme uncomfortable range so that at the end of the passage, it felt like it was screaming. Wow. And yeah, that's how I was kind of like, you know, it's, and I couldn't even say, well, duh, I should have thought of that. It was like, Oh my God. You know, yeah. it's just I, something I just never, it never occurred to me. I have to blow my nose. Hold on. Sure. You know, the, with Gil, there were all these, surprise things i remember when we were working on the color of money i had hurt my back and the the band was there there was a recording session happening we were gonna i went there we were getting all the music the things we'd orchestrated i did some he did a lot well he did most of it anything that was good he did <laughs> um and um and i said oh god my back and you know i've had these spasms and so he spent he pulled a book off the wall and you know, and, and showed me how I, the sleeping position, I still sleep in that position every night. I think of them every night when I lie down, like on your side with the bottom leg extended straight with the top leg bent up so that the, the spine is straight on the, on the side that's down, down from the leg all the way up to your spine, but then the arm over and the leg over and you know, and he described this way of sleeping and he spent all this time and I'm like, yo, the car's waiting for us. You know, there's a recording session going on. Oh my God. He spent the longest wow. time. So finally we get in the car and in the car, he was laughing about, and Miles was in the car too, Miles Evans, his son. And we were laughing about, you know, 
uh, you know, Miles, when she, you know, uh, Anita was pregnant with him, listening to music and, you know, absorbing the music. I, I just remember there were all these conversations and he was so relaxed about everything. We get to the recording session. We're super late. And the band is hanging out and talking and stuff. Oh, my God. He So he sat down and started telling him how, you know, how disappointed I am in you that, you, you know, we're busy working on music. And I would think you'd be here working on music and and, and playing, working on the things that were here from last night. And, and, and I was sitting there thinking, oh, my God, this is because of my back. And, you know, everybody's getting yelled at. <laughs> it was really, you know. But there was something, it wasn't so much being yelled at, but it was, you know, him just saying how disappointed he is. I'm just disappointed. And it was so, um, you know, and everybody was sitting there just like to have Gil say how disappointed he was in him. Wow. That must have been, I wonder, I have to ask like Gil Goldstein if he remembers that, if that happened often, because I can't imagine it did. I just and, thought of Gil, because, uh, Gil Goldstein because I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. Oh, Wow. And he talked about this one moment where Gil was uh, was basically uh, in a he was in a bad mood and talking to the to the band who was sounding shitty or something. He was saying like, "Yeah, uh, if you would care to contribute, uh, it would be very appreciated." <laughs> something like that in a, in a very basic way. Yeah. Uh, any contribution from you would be greatly, uh, uh, yeah. What did I just say? I, I remember it. Appreciated, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Gil had a way of saying things, you know, in a kind of indirect, sort of gentle way. Mm. Um, I mean, the thing I saw it was a little bit, maybe a little harsh, you know, saying how disappointed he was in them. <laughs> but um yeah he was just very special but you know i i he just had such unorthodox ways of doing things and i remember one night i heard this night of music they played at sweet basil's and i uh um it was just to me it was just transcendent it was absolutely beautiful and and i told him afterwards and oh no 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 i was really disappointed and you know mm -hmm. and i and i i it You know, and he was so critical of it. And I remember that night thinking, I, I think of that often because sometimes I'll think that the band doesn't ha didn't have a great night, but somebody will come up to me and just tell me how moved they were and that they cried or whatever. Right. And and I, I try not to say, oh no no no, I wish you were here on a different night. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't great tonight. You know, there there was a time where I would say those things, but I often think of Gil and I think about how. Um, that night was great for me, you know, and he's comparing it to something he has in his head. But Where you weren't I, there. I wasn't there. And I, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I heard what I heard and it was meaningful for me. And, you know, to not take that away from somebody, you know, and say, nah, it isn't yeah. good, you know. It's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard people saying, like, it's not up to you anymore. You know, yeah. you, you played it. Now it's, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think I just said it to you, you know. Uh, Yes. When yeah. talking about, uh, I don't know, which concert in the garden or Allegress or something. Yeah, once it's recorded, it's out there. and Now it's yeah. mine. I can, yeah. it's part of my life now, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, 
I'm having adventures with it or I'm having experiences with it that you're not a part of in a way, you know, in, in, in presence yeah. maybe, but in, in your music, obviously you are. I'm very, you know, um, I'm amazed that Gil would want to check out Miles's. I mean, of course, he, he was his friend, you know, but want to, want to check out his new record like Aura. Where... Oh, he loved it. He thought he was blown away by what Polly Mickleborg wrote. He was really, really loved it. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. Because, you know, Pale was obviously also influenced by the way Gil would work with yeah. uh, Miles, you know. Mm -hmm. But that's a, that's a special album yes. for sure. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Have, do you have memories of um, studying certain pieces of, of Gil's? And I'm actually, that's something maybe on a, on a larger scale that I'm also interested in. How much time of your process is, uh, are you using for the, the, the actual study of music? I hate to tell you, I'm so bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I'm a very kind of a superficial person. You know, I listen to it. I'm like, Oh, I like that. You know, I, I mean, yes. When I heard, uh, uh, Paco de Lucia, I took some, you know, I asked, Uh, Jorge Rossi if I could take a couple lessons with him to learn about Bulleria rhythm and you know this and that uh, there's another Cajon player Gonzalo Grau who's playing on um, Concert in the Garden and he helped me learn about Bulleria rhythms and and also Jeff Ballard right um, and but score studying I've always been really bad about that um, and Gill's music you know um, there I was working with Gil and, you know, the scores weren't really available. So, you know, it's like, so what I knew of Gil's music was what I heard, you know, and, you know, suddenly I'm writing for him and he wasn't one to articulate what he was doing, but years later. So, um, so after Gil died, Gil Goldstein called me at some point and said, You know, um, Quincy Jones and Miles Davis want to do the music. Did he talk about this? Yes. That they that they want to do the music and we have to transcribe it. And um, he's and so oh, so I have to give some background first. I had won this award from Herb Alpert. Um, it was a new award. It was called the Gil Evans Fellowship from the IAJE organization. Now it's. Uh, or it was NAJE at the time, or, you know, the Jazz Educators um, Convention. And I was, um, the award was to be commissioned to write a piece and um, have it uh, premiered at the next year's IAJE convention, which was going to be in New York. And um, I won the award, you know, it was after Gil had died. And so, and before Gil died, he had, asked me if I would write something for, he invited me to write something for his band. Wow. And, um, I was really nervous. I was kind of dragging my feet because I was all full of the negative self-talk. And, and then Gil called me one day and told me he wasn't feeling well. He really, he, he really, um, I said, I'm really worried, you know, I'm just really not feeling well. And, And he was just really concerned. And it was weird because if Gil called me, it was usually about some project, you know, a movie or something that was going to happen, maybe, or a tour or music or rehearsal. And 
this time it was, you know, just to tell me he was worried about his health. And I was just, I, I think I was kind of stupid. I was so kind of stunned. And I said, well, I'm sure you're going to be okay. You know, it's you're probably just this or that. Well, um, and then he said at the end, he said, you know, I want to get together with you and talk to you about your music. Because when he first met, when we first met, um, he knew nothing about my music. Mm -hmm. He, I, I didn't tell you the story, but I met him because I worked at this copy sh uh, shop and this composer came in and we went to lunch and you know, we met over, we got to know each other. We had lunch. He asked me about my favorite composers. I was talking about Gil going on and on about Gil and he called Gil. I didn't know he was a friend of Gil's. I knew nothing about this guy. And he called me that night and he said, Gil is my closest friend. And I told him to, about you today and he oh. needs somebody to work for him and he wants to meet you. But Gil had this way of he would meet you and then he would trust you. He would, you would be in or out, you know, out kind of in his, his book. Um, well, not necessarily out, but you'd be in or not, you know? Right. So in his book, um, I think it was Howard Johnson, but it might've been somebody else was talking. I think it was Howard. That it might've been somebody else talking about how they met Gil on the street and, and, you know, somebody said, Hey, this is my friend, you know, he plays, you know, saxophone or whatever it was, you know, this person, I don't think it was Howard cause it would have, I think it was somebody else. Oh, shoot. Are you talking I about that, that blue book about Gil, the, um, out of the cool? Well, there's, yeah, there's two of them. And, 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 and he said, and Gil just said, Hey man, come play in my band. And, and this person said that Gil had a way of meeting you and just then just trusting, just saying, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I have to say, when I met Gil, this freakish thing happened that when he came towards me, it was at a, he said, come to a rehearsal, I'm going to have you. And I was copying stuff while they were rehearsing and he was giving me sketches and I'm spitting this stuff out literally at the rehearsal by hand, you know? And, but when I met him, it's like he, he had, it, it was like he was shooting around the room. It was a weird, like almost like a Carlos Castaneda bizarre, you know, like mushroom experience. I've never had mushrooms, but anyway, it was very <laughs> strange. There was something odd there. I, I can say that. And also I had seen myself being an assistant to him years before. And I'm not like a, a super like person. Yep. No, well, I, there's been a few weird things, but very isolated, but that was one of them. And I, and even though I registered it and remembered it, it wasn't like I was saying, well, it's destiny. I'm going to be working with Gil Evans. No, it wasn't that. Matter of fact, I called him once for a lesson and I got so freaked out when the answering machine picked up, I hung up and never yeah. decided I would never call him again. So it wasn't like, you know, I was trying to build my destiny, but then it happened in this freakish way, you know, 8 million people in New York and somehow that happens, sure. you know? Yeah. So I'm working with Gil. He, um, and we talk about music all the time, but I didn't say, would you listen to this? He, he knew really very little about my music. Then at one point he asked me for a tape and I gave him a tape and he, he made a nice comment about it or whatever. But then in this phone call, he said, I want to get together with you and talk about your music. I have some ideas. Wow. And then he went to Mexico and he died. So it never happened. So, mm. so now flash forward, I'm getting this, I'm doing this, uh, Herb Alpert. Can I interrupt you? 
Yeah. I'm curious. You must have fantasized what he wanted to, to tell you, right? Of course you wonder what he was going to tell you. Yeah. I was so devastated. He died. And I was just so yeah. like, oh my God. And berating myself for not asking him more questions all along the way, but feeling like I just never wanted to be a pest. And, you know, and here he was saying, why do you all, why are you always in such a rush to leave? Well, I don't want to bother you. You yeah. know, yeah, it's like, why, 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 you know, I, did I do that? I'm so dumb, you know, but then I was mm. like, well, if I had been different, maybe he wouldn't have wanted me around, you know, yep. maybe it's better. It's like, you want the person around who's not like you know, yep. all, all over you, you know? So anyway, um, so when I get this, this, um, commission, you know, there, this award, you know, to write something in Gil's name, I was really like, I was just like, Oh my God, what do I write? And I didn't get my, my, I didn't get my comments from him. And I literally was sitting there and literally saying, Gil, would you sit next to me and help me when the phone rings and it's Gil Goldstein <laughs> and he, so we're doing this project and it's, you know, Quincy Jones and Miles Davis. And I'm like, well, I knew the music was all thrown away. Mm -hmm. Because I'd seen Gil trying to figure out my ship in his underwear. And he said, well, we have some sketches, a few things, and we've got to transcribe all the music. And, wow. you know, I was working full time as a music copyist and then trying to write this thing. And I had a couple other things I was doing. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't have time. I don't have time. And, I, and he said, well, will you do one? How about miles ahead? And I said, okay, okay, I'll try. <laughs> but the, the thought of you know, Gil couldn't transcribe his own music, you know, so I'm going to try to transcribe Gil's music. And so he got me this sketch that had a few things, you know, it was like kind of like my sketches here, yeah. you know. <clears throat> and I started looking at it and transcribing, but the sketches were super helpful. And what I saw as I'm working on it, I'm like, oh, my God, look at those first three chords. It's it starts with. Da, da, da. Yeah, and that first chord is like a triad. I forget what note is beneath it, but it's it's a, it's not a chord really. It's not it's not a chord. It's not like kind of a dominant kind of thing. And then I was like, oh, it's the lines. Look at everything's moving in linearly. Yeah. Then later on, I was looking at stuff. Oh my God, everything's linear. Oh, look at how the bottom is a line, the middle is a line, everything's a line. And then I started to see how weird skeletal some of the voicings were yeah but because they were from the lines moving triads and in, in in contrary motion parallel motion how sometimes there were minor ninths but the line was making it all make sense and i was like it's the lines it's the lines it's the lines and then i was like oh my god he's telling me yeah. he's sitting next to me and saying maria the lines yeah that was it that's what he was going to tell me. And I know that's what he would tell me. It would be wow. about the lines. I mean, in, in, I'm sure there would be other things, many other things, but I know that was it. And, and so when I wrote Evanescence, it's body, da, 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 da. And then there's a second time. Um, and there's, it, it's a little paraphrase of the melody and there's, there's a line. And then the third time I did all these lines and it's really beautiful. It goes into... And, and it's, um, it's a hundred percent because of that, you know, and it's, I'm not, it's like you said in the beginning, it's not like I'm imitating Gil, 
trying to get his sounds or colors or voicings. No, it was just paying attention, letting the 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 lines drive the whole thing. Yeah. And then out of letting the lines drive the whole thing, all of a sudden sonorities started to appear. And those sonorities were really interesting sonorities that later on I use as kind of abstract chunks that move parallelly in yeah. a very kind of non-tonal way behind the trumpet solo, enabling the freedom behind them. Yeah. And I just know that in that piece, and that was called Evanescence, and I know that that piece did for the first time without trying to sound like Gil capture that, you know, so it's, but that was Gil. That's what I mean. Gil was mysterious. You know how he would tell you to do things, you know, came in odd ways like that, you know? Wow. God, I'm dry. It's so dry. It's like, I'm, my fingers are cracking. It's like miserable. So I'm going to have to go soon because I have to get to the post office and mail some taxes to the state of California. California sucks. <laughs> but you're, oh my God. you're in New York, right? Yes. But okay. every time you work in California, they find a way to, oh, my God, they're so disorganized. And they always say you owe them money that you don't owe them. They one time took money out of my bank account. <laughs> wow. Money that they owed me money. And, they, you know, oh, my God. Anyway, so this time I'm just paying them. Just make them go away. Yeah. Sure. Pay them away. So mm -hmm. how much more time do we have? Let's say five minutes. Sure. Five That's, to ten. Cool. I, I, as I said, I'm grateful for anything. So, And we have been talking for almost two hours. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Um, yeah, some circus was another one of those where I got a kind of a gill feeling especially mm -hmm. in the first uh, yeah the first kind of chords that the yeah, that's woodwinds a, that's and the a, trumpet I, I hated that piece when i wrote it but now i look back and i'm like gosh that's beautiful i wish i'd write that now you know <laughs> yeah i like that piece yeah um it's great yeah we, we, we were talking about the study part of the music and i i, I think i want to get back to it a little bit more because oh, you just want to reveal how i don't study enough no i'm terrible I, no, I'm joking. I should be studying scores all the time. No, I'm and... not talking about scores. Um, oh. I'm curious about what happens if you like something that you hear on a record. Do you stop the record and take it apart? Little moments? No. You just take it in. Mm -hmm. Was there a time when you did that? Yeah. When I was young, I studied scores and really looked at them. And yeah, I, like that inside the score book by Rayburn Wright, I mean, I devoured that thing. And, you know, and, and I looked at scores and trying to figure out how things were done. But and, and I feel like I should do that now. I really, really should do that now. I just don't. I don't know why. I just, you know, there's not a lot of, I'm busy now. And, and I blame this stinking computer for it because I get so much email. I'm yeah. perpetually not writing people back. My life is doing email 12 hours a day yeah. most times. It's Especially really Especially in sick. these states, right? I mean, in these days. Uh, oh, it's uh, just horrible. Yeah. It's really, it's really a disaster. And it's just taken away from, you know, my life they, in terms of music and s searching and discovery and all those things that I used to do. It's, it's like last place, you know. And right. first place seems to be getting back to somebody so they don't feel insulted. And, you know, Mark, right. my partner, he comes home and he's like, oh, my God, they're going to write on your gravestone. Like, 
I got my emails down to 160. You know, <laughs> it's like, he like, said, don't answer. You don't need to answer. No, nobody has a, a right to take the real estate of your time out of your life. Yeah. And, and what's going to happen if you don't answer, right? It's something... It's like a, then, or then people write back, and you know, and or or it's things like the taxes, or yeah, or somebody who wants a recommendation, or somebody who's you know who wants to do an interview writing. with you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, there's just a thousand things. There's a thousand, and you know, it isn't that I don't like to do it. It's not even actually most time when I'm writing people. I'm like, I find myself smiling when I'm writing to him. I write a little something and I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, Maria, snap out of it. You're miserable. <laughs> so you shouldn't be doing this. You know, so it's not like I, I don't like writing people and, and that I, you know, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm putting a hate on everybody that's emailing me, but it's just a matter of how much time do you have in your life? How right. much surface area do you, can you give, I, I, you know, sometimes I feel like I have, you know, you know, 24 teats on my life with just like 160 piglets sucking on them, you know, and it's just like, and I'm just this old sow just lying there, just nothing left, you know, just giving my lifeblood to everything. And, and, and I would like to be out, you know, eating, eating the food in the trough and just having a day to myself. But I've got all these, you know, I just have a lot of Piglets sucking on the teat. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the moments when you don't feel like the, like that. Uh, there's, there are precious few moments like that. When there's moments like that, I want to be birding, watching my birds, mm -hmm. you know, or if I can find myself and immerse into the, the, the bubble, you know, and, the, and write, then it's, it's wonderful. And then what happens is once I get in there, then I don't look at the email for weeks on end and I really need to hear from you. You know, yep. you're not responding. I have a deadline and, you mm -hmm. know, and you know, sometimes I just want to make an announcement on my email. I'm done. It's over for a whole year. <laughs> you know, you need something. Email sabbatical. Luck. Yeah. Pretend I died. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> uh. But also, I mean, what I'm also fascinated by uh, is you, you have an amazing um gift to to write for uh for people and that must come with uh with a lot of people wanting you to write for them like singer scoring their record or whatever not that many people ask they did before more and not so many people ask anymore because i think i've said no so many times i say no to most everything you know here and there I say yes, but mostly I say no because in late, the latest years, because I don't have enough time to write, and I've really just wanted to write mostly for my band, you know? Yeah. And and here and there, you know, it'll be something like right now I'm writing an orchestral arrangement for University of Miami on my piece Home. Mm. I'm, uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking about something I might like to do that's something outside of the band. But, um, you know, just generally... Um, you know, even David Bowie, he wanted to do more stuff, but I was in the middle of recording time. I was just going to record Thompson Fields and I literally didn't have the time, right. you know? So if you have to say no to David Bowie, you know, it's like, oh my God, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, but I did have to, I had it all scheduled, you know, for a year, you know? So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, but uh, I felt like also, I mean, I didn't know you before, but to me, when I looked at your discography, it felt like very much on purpose, like focusing on your own stuff. And that it makes, is. must take a lot of guts also to say in a, in a, in a business like this, I'm going to do my own stuff and uh, not much else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It does. It does. Because, and also just from a standpoint of mostly for me, it's not a business thing that it, it's not a worry about the business aspect. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a, in a moment, but you know, for me, it's more a matter of disappointing people. I don't, I, I hate disappointing people. That's just really hard. You know, that's a female thing. You know, it's like you, you want to be all things to all people all the right. time. I think, I think men have an easier time just saying no, maybe I'm wrong. And maybe it depends mm. on people, but you know, that's, that's kind of a problem. And I, and I also think being a female is part of the reason more people come to me for things Mm-hmm. Because it's they expect that the female is going to be, you know, giving. Res- yeah, giving and receptive, and that makes me more like the female sow with you know <laughs> 160 piglets on my on my teats. But um, I was going to say something before that. I said I'll come back to that in just what did I say just a second ago? Um, uh, just a second ago, we said, um, you're what was not your concerned, question? You, you're not concerned with the business side oh, so the much. the business, that's why. Yeah, so from a business standpoint, um, um, it actually, the best business thing for me is writing for my own group because I sell the music on my website. I perform, I conduct the music with other groups you know, I, I, um, you know, and other groups play my music. So in the end, if I was writing one-off pieces for different things financially, and you know, commissions for the amount of time it takes to write something, the money that comes from the commission, you know, you could, you could make more money, you know, flipping burgers, maybe, you know, at least me, the rate, the speed at which I write, you know, so, so, but for me, if I'm writing for my band, which, you know, unless I'm getting a commission through my website, sometimes I'll say, hey, I'm going to commission, you can commission a piece, you know, and people come on board. But like my last record, you know, almost all that music, I didn't even want the pressure of that. I just wanted mm. to write for my own band. But it does financially turn into something. And and, and there's, there is a, a, a message in that. And that is, that if you stick to your guns and if you do what you do with full attention and care and love and devotion and, and work hard at it, mm. you know, there, there's a built in value to that, you know, um, to sometimes that in, in real dollars, you know, in, in real dollars. Right. Yeah. And, and, and key to that too has been maintaining ownership of my work, you know, mm owning my records, owning my, you know, not publishing my music through a publisher where I get 10% of, you know, not that much, but I retain the bulk of everything and I give a commission to the website. You know, that's, that's a very different thing. And so that's enabled me to make a living doing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I was wondering uh, about another thing, which is, um, you sometimes feel, and I think we've touched about uh, touched on that before a little bit. Do you sometimes feel like writing a small piece? I mean, like a couple of bars, maybe like a a, a small group well, my, piece. 
Oh, small group piece. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe here and there. You know, I've done small versions of some of my pieces. Um, sometimes inspired by other people that did it, like Norma Winston did hang gliding. Have you heard that version? I Among the clouds. No. No, I oh, haven't. Oh, you have. It's really beautiful. It's called Among the Clouds. Oh, great. I'm going to it's check. It's on ECM. Which, which album is this? Um, oh, I can't remember. But if you look up Among the Clouds, Norma Winston, you'll yeah, find it. She wrote words to it. It's really beautiful yeah, how they did amazing. that. She's amazing. Yeah. She is. And, and um, you know, uh, Torben Waldorf did um, Shoro Donsato mm -hmm. on an album that's really, he, he did that. It's really beautiful. Um uh, was it? Uh, well, there, there's a few people that have done Shoro and you know small group versions of things. But but on my last album, some of the pieces are shorter than they've been. You know, they've mm -hmm. been a little simpler and shorter. And so yeah, maybe I'll get simpler and shorter. Yeah. I don't know. It's just I was just thinking about it that that um, by focusing by focusing so much on your own group and writing for that. That must mean, and we've touched also on that before, like that, that there's maybe sometimes a more, how should I say this? But, oh, I have to write another piece means, you know, a lot of work, a, a big, a big yes, thing. Yeah, it's, and uh, I was yeah, thinking epic, about yeah. Carla Bley sometimes writing three bars, you know, uh, and mm -hmm. that's, that's it. That's the piece, you know. Mm -hmm. Obviously, she didn't really write for. I mean, she wrote for 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 big ensembles as well. But um, still, sometimes that that is something that actually helps me start the process because I don't feel overwhelmed by the the dauntingness know. of it. Yeah, like oh, I'm gonna it's gonna be all this work, you know. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I don't usually go in. Well, sometimes I go in thinking it's gonna be all this work, but usually I'm just looking for anything, just something. If I can come up with this much of a good idea, that's the hard part. It's hard developing it into a piece, but coming up with the idea, ooh, you know, yeah. that's, that's, you know, I don't know if it's necessary. Well, if, yes, it's probably easier in a way to write a short piece and you say that's it. But making those three bars really significant that it's really something that matters enough to exist as three bars yeah, that's that can another, be heavy too. Another story is tr it's true. Yeah, you know that you know there's a there's a, a wonderful pottery story. Sometimes I'll tell the students where, um, and I don't know what book it's in. A, it's in one of these books, um, on my shelves. I don't know. Um, anyway, I the, this woman she had she taught pottery and she she had two classes and she as an experiment she told one class okay this semester you're all going to just have to make one pot you're going to turn one pot and um you're graded on the quality of that work but you have the whole semester to just do that one work and then the other class she said this semester you're going to be graded on quantity yeah i'm not even going to look at the quality i don't care how bad they are i want numbers and you bring in every week you show me the numbers that you've made we'll count them and at the end you're graded according to how much you got done and what she discovered is the ones that went for the quantity she said generally were happier many of the pieces had a freedom to them and an artistry to them that was quite amazing and that out of the class that went for the perfection, 
She said some of the piece, some of the people couldn't even complete it. They were so crushed underneath the pressure of sure. it. And she said some, the results of some of them were kind of stiff and overwrought and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to try to find that balance between the freedom and getting it out there and then the perfection and trying to make it right, you know, and right. trying to find your navigate between, you know, the whole psychological trauma of, of all the different, you know, obstacles you hit going between those worlds and, you know, and whatever little voices you give yourself. It's pretty amazing, you know, what we do to ourselves. You know, I, sometimes I look at my band and I just know, I know the struggles so many of them have had or the self-doubts or the working and the trying or the, you know, and it's unbelievable if I look at that and I say, God, this music, look at what they did. Mm-hmm. And if, if I was to put the emotional toll into a box, you know, it would be like, that would be a heavy box, you mm-hmm. know, what artists do to themselves. It's shocking. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way to uh, end, maybe. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Leave with the struggle. Yeah, yeah. I think we began with the struggle and we end with the struggle. We're back at it. (laughs) Just never ends. Yes. Yes. Uh, Well, it's really a joy to talk with you. It was really fun. Oh, same here. And it means the world to me that you accepted to talk to me and and shared some of your process that's so inspiring and thank you so much for all your music and, and yeah for talking to me thank you yeah I, I have to say I enjoyed reading I guess it was a I think it was a dictated one that you did with Frank Kimbrough it was maybe a longer time ago that was really beautiful I was I read a lot oh, you, of really you interesting it out? things oh, cool. oh yeah yeah I like that yeah it was really great thank I you I felt so like much. I learned things about Frank there so a lot oh wow 